is Paul Shireman today on the 81st edition of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. Today is my special guest. I have Rick Allen. Rick is the author of the recently published book, All About the Seattle Pilots Inside Pitch. Before I go further with this interview with uh, Rick Allen, I want to recognize my uh, engineer today, Richard Tenebrich. On Rainier Avenue Radio, we have a lot of programming going on. We're an online station based in Seattle. We have sports shows, lifestyle shows, political shows, full gamut. We have a new Monday night sports lineup from 6.30 to 10. My show, Sports and Stuff, will be running at 9 every Monday and at noon every Tuesday. I'm continuing to practice law as a solo lawyer in Seattle, working on uh, primarily personal injury cases here on the Rainier Trail. And continue to have fun hosting a radio show, Sports and Stuff been around now since July 2017. My interviews are all now on YouTube. Most of my interviews are on my uh, office website. They're on Mixcloud. The Rainier Avenue Radio website uh, continue to be updated. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter at CLS Law Offices. Well, Rick, let me get back to you. As I mentioned, Rick is the author of this uh, really good new book, Inside Pitch, all about the 1969 Seattle Pilots. The book goes into the uh, founding of the Pilots. They moved to Milwaukee. It had some epilogues about what happened to Seattle baseball after the uh, Pilots left in 1969. The book is a very readable book. It has a special focus on two young men who were Seattle Pilots staff members, Bob Schoenblocker and Jim Kistleby. hope I pronounced their names correctly. I finished Rick's book, Rick's book this week and enjoyed it. Rick is a lifelong baseball fan, father and husband. Has uh, all sorts of degrees, including a uh, MA and doctorate from USC in public administration. Rick has worked in higher education, government, and nonprofit sectors. He's also founded two businesses. Well, Rick Allen, uh, thank you for coming on Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. Well, thanks for having me. My pleasure. Rick, as mentioned, you have worked in various industries. Uh, you're a man of multiple academic degrees. Why don't you share with us uh, how you got the bug to write a book about the Seattle Pilots? Well, <laughs> I had no idea how I was going to write about the Seattle Pilots. It was a complete surprise to me, honestly. <laughs> I, was in, I was in Africa on a tour of Africa with my wife, and we were in a small tour group. We didn't know anybody in the tour group. And I'm a big baseball fan. I read Baltimore, which I love. It's a great book by Jim Bob. Great book. So we got the 69 pilots. And this guy starts talking about the baseball stories, and he's talking about his time as an administrator. And they're funny stories. And I say to him at the table in Africa, well, who did you really work? And he says, I was with the 1969 Seattle pilots. I was the 21-year-old chief financial officer of the Seattle pilots. And, of course, I knew they couldn't bankrupt them. And I thought, what? You were 21 years old? You were the chief financial officer? And he said, yeah, I kind of fell into the job. And, and he was telling these funny stories. And I thought, well, let's, when we get back to the States, can I meet up with you? Because he lives in Arizona, and my wife and I go down there each year for spring training. So we met up in Arizona, and he's talking. And this is the second time we meet. And he says, yeah, me and a friend here also in Arizona both worked for the pilots. A guy named Jim Kittleson. And I said, that's funny. I know a guy named Kitsley. I used to work with him at uh, Kitsley University. And he says, yeah, that's him. And I went, what? He says, yeah, he was also with the pilots, and he went to Milwaukee with me after the pilots went bankrupt. And he lives here in Arizona, too. So I got them together, and, and the memories started flying, and this book popped out. I mean, it was, it was all these stories about the difficult startup, all the things that went wrong. It's like it's kind of like Moneyball, the movie, 
elsewhere in the book right. about how how a business can work and don't solve business problems. Except in Minute Lindahl, how this philosophy works, a machine turned into a man. In this case, it's kind of the opposite. It's like, here's how everything can go wrong when you're trying to start up a franchise. And there's funny story after funny story and kind of bad story, but there's humor, sadness, irony. It's just filled with good stuff. Well, I really enjoyed the book. Uh, and it, it just said me, Rick, how sometimes when people go on trips, they can meet interesting people. So I, I, uh, a trip to Africa certainly turned into another project for you, didn't it? I know, something completely uh, unanticipated. And, of course, the story of the pilot is a, is a great one because the, the story on it is that he bought the pilot and he, and he kind of uh, bought the California Angels AAA team from Angels, which was in Seattle at the time. And they, they're good baseball players. They were knowledgeable. Bill Soriano was the sporting news minor league executive of the year in 1955. So they weren't, you know, they didn't uh, just fall into this and then fall out of it. They kind of just ran into a, a storm of all of the wrong things, all at the wrong, wrong time. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm going to ask you some other Sorianos and some other characters in your, in your book, uh, Rick. You know, if I read your book, Jim, it, 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 as you mentioned, there's a lot of humor in it, and it kind of reminds me of sort of like the, the Major League Baseball equivalent of Bad News Bears. There was just so much yeah. chaos and organization. So the, the book is funny. It's also very sad as to what happened to pilots and how they left Seattle. Is that how you kind of see the, the, the whole pilot story? It's kind of like a dark comedy almost. It is. And, it, and, it's, and it's sad because people were really trying hard to make it work. I mean, they, they sacrificed everything. The Sorianos almost went broke. I mean, if they hadn't been bought out of bankruptcy, they would have lost everything. And they were great baseball people. They kept baseball alive with the AAA. Seattle team for 15 years. They were the head of, they were either at the top or near the top of attendance for 15 straight years. So here's these guys who buy the team thinking they're going to make, you know, a deal to bring them in in three or four years. Uh, originally, the idea was in 1971 or 72. But because uh, Kansas City had lost their team, they lost their team uh, that went to Oakland over the objections of uh, baseball. And Kansas City demanded that its team be put back there because they had invested a lot of money in that team. So when Kansas City got a team ahead of time, they had to put in another team. And they went to the Sorianos and said, look, I know we've been talking about 1971-72, but we got to have another team now. So you'll have a two- or three-year lead time. We're going to have to put you in the league now. And they just weren't ready for that. The stadium, six stadium was old. They didn't have, they weren't connected to money interests. They had a poor uh, a TV contract. They had a, a mediocre radio contract. They had to borrow money from the concession people, so they only got 20% of concessions. The only money they had was from, from attendance. So if they didn't make a million in attendance, they were sunk because they didn't get any revenue sharing from the league. I mean, it was one thing after another. Oh, absolutely. Their, their attendance actually killed baseball. Kept, they finished four other teams were behind them in attendance. But they needed to have a million. They only got 677000 and it was basically their only source of income. And that's why they went broke. Your book goes through it very well, Rick. About everything that could go wrong with the Pro Sports franchise went wrong with the 69 Shell Pilots. This is Paul Stone, the host of Sports and Stuff on Radio Avenue Radio, the author of Inside Pitch. 
Phone call by the Seattle Pilots, Rick Allen. You know, Rick, you mentioned the Chili Auto Brothers a minute ago. And, you know, I'm kind of a Seattle-based player, too, but I was born in 1970, so the Pilots were right before the beginning of my lifetime. But the Chili Autos are often depicted in Seattle baseball history as villains let the Pilots get away when they end up in Milwaukee defeating the Brewers. However, there is some more to the story. In your research, Rick, how should Seattle baseball historians view the Chili Autos? Are they bad guys who are out for themselves, or are they pretty good guys who just got in a bad financial situation? How, how do you evaluate the Chili Autos? I, you know, I can, I can, I have, I can have pretty distinct notions about how this would play out as I wrote the book because I was really on top of the, the pilots. I was in 1969. I was in ROTC summer camp. I never got to attend a game, not even with them. So I, I was, I really didn't know anything except I watched the team. And then as I went through this book and and learned things, you'd see how each step along the way that they had very little control over really set them up to fail. I mean, it, it, and in the meantime, they did things like help the Ford truck levy pass that ended up having the boom zone built. And if they hadn't have done that, the Mariners wouldn't have won. Right. So I'm, in my view, the Soriano's, first of all, kept AAA baseball alive for years and years and years. Great franchises. And then they did their best to bring big league baseball here. And they, they got, at least in my view, they kind of got screwed. And, and so they also brought the team, and that brought the Mariners. So I think there's a direct line between the Seattle Mariners and the Soriano brothers, and they deserve a lot of credit for it. And they deserve – nobody else in Seattle came forward to try to help them with the pilots. I mean, very few people came to their aid, and they were hanging out there. And luckily, Bud Stevens bought them out of bankruptcy. Now, Bud had already tried to buy the Chicago White Sox in 1969, so it wasn't as if he were, you know, hovering over Seattle just trying to steal Seattle's team. He actually made a deal to buy the White Sox, but the American League turned him down and said, look, Chicago's the second at the time, second biggest city in the United States. We want both an American League team and a National League team in Chicago. We're not going to let you buy the White Sox. So, of course, he and his group were looking to bring a team back to Milwaukee because they had lost the Braves in 1966. The Braves moved to Georgia. So, and Koenig is also vilified here. You know, he stole the team. No, he didn't really steal the team. The team failed for a lot of other reasons, which the book outlines. And the Sorianos were not bad guys. They were good guys trying to break the net to make something really cool happen for the city. And, Sor- and uh, Seelig happened to be in the right place at the right time with a failed franchise and bought the franchise for $10.8 million. The Milwaukee Brewers are now worth $1.4 billion. A lot there, a lot of history there. And I, I, I think you're, you're giving the listeners a little bit more of a post-Soriano's take that they, they did in a roundabout way play a role to make the Mariners the Seattle 1977. You know, um, Rick, the Seattle Pilots, you know, you mentioned Jim Bouton's famous book, The Fall Sport. It's been called The Capture the Rye of, of sports books, the very inside tale about about a lot of drama and that it goes into a lot of dirtiness of, the, of baseball. And, you know, Jim Bouton, I think, died last year. He was really quite, quite a guy. Uh, do, do, are the Pilots like the ultimate American pro sports cult team? They seem to be kind of a cult team, too, with the, with the Pilots. Is, Tell us a little bit about that, about that Jeff, um, Rick. Well, they're, they're certainly one of them. You know, he, he, the 
Paul Ford was really the first sports book to go behind the curtain and tell it like it really is. Because sports writers couldn't do that because if they did that back then, they would they would be cut off. They, they wouldn't have any access to the teams. So they never really revealed all the insider secrets. And Bowden took Ball Four about the same Seattle Pilots. It's all about the characters in, in, in spikes and where he was on the field and what they did in the clubhouse and in the dugout and, and uh, you know, out in the bullpen and, and after hours in the bars. And, <laughs> and it was really a, a shocker. I mean, right. really, baseball actually tried to ban it, which made this book, Inside Pitch, even more interesting to me because here's this guy who was working in the front office of the same team, the guys who actually put those characters on the field, and and they were running the team. So I thought, well, it would be really interesting to write a book talking about behind the curtain of the front office. What was the funny stuff that was going on there? I mean, they had they had a guy they hired as a CFO before Bob got the job, who only lasted a month. They had a public relations guy who got fired on opening day. <laughs> they had they, they had another guy who was their promotions guy who was buying too much stuff and was keeping the extra stuff, putting it in his trunk and selling it out of the back of his car. I mean, there was all kinds of stuff going on. And these two guys who were with the team relate all these stories as they're running out there just popping as they run together. And it's just one thing after another. And then, of course, they go to Milwaukee. And, and this book also has the first startup year, actually the first couple years a startup in Milwaukee, and there's a real eye-opener there, too. The general manager, uh, Marvin Milk, who came over from the pilots to the Brewers, for instance, had, had set up, a, you know, I mean, he kind of had uh, uh, Bud Sewell over the barrel. He said, I'm not coming unless you give me a, a two-year extension of my contract. Well, Bud, it was only six days before the season started when the bankruptcy was declared. So Bud had to give him a two-year extension. But he was a disaster. Marvin Milk was a disaster. He was kicking holes in desks, yelling and screaming, wouldn't listen to anybody. And and so Bud had a secret meeting with uh, Joe Coleman in Boston, the American League president, and said, look, I gave this guy an extension, but I've got cause to fire him, but I need your permission to do it. And Bob Schoenbacher, CFO at the time, was in that secret meeting in Boston with Bud Sewell and Joe Coleman. So it's that kind of stuff that's in the book that he tells. There's a couple of other just little things that happen, too. I mean, I, I had this book advertised on Facebook. I was doing free sales on, on, on Facebook. And a guy contacts me on Facebook and says, you know, I know the guy whose mom put the Seattle Pirates uniform in Milwaukee, took off all the Seattle Pirates patches, and sewed on all the Brewers patches just before game day. Do you want to contact him? And I said, well, of course I do. So I contacted the guy, and my book was already in print. It was already at the printer. And the guy said, yeah, that was my mom. And my grandma worked at this place where they cleaned all the uniforms. We got a call from the brewers, and they said, we desperately need a seamstress. And she says, well, my daughter is a seamstress. So this daughter is this guy's mom. And this little kid was one by one bringing uniforms up to his mom. He was taking off all the patches, going on the brewers' patches. And the Milwaukee Brewers took the field in Seattle Pilots uniform on opening day in 1970. And guess what happened all those years? His mom kept the patches. She gave them to the, the team moms. And this is what the little kids in Little League did. They sewed them on all of the Little League t-shirts 
And the 1969 Seattle Pilot Community Package took the field in 1970 on a sandlot in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. All these things you've mentioned, Jim, seem to contribute to the cult-like aspects of the Pilots franchise, the Fountain Brook and all the, the yep. silly characters around the franchise. It really is quite a story. Paul Schneider down in Sports and Stuff on Rainer Avenue Radio with uh, the author of the Inside Pitch, a story about the Seattle Pilots, uh, Rich Allen. You know, Rich, you, you mentioned Bob Schoenblocker, and I may not be pronouncing his name right, but I'm doing my best. And yeah, close. <laughs> do you think there ever will be a 21-year-old kid with no college degree who is cut from his high school baseball team to be working at a high level at any kind of major league sports franchise ever again? Never. <laughs> Never. 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 Right. It's a miracle. It is a miracle. He, he, <laughs> he actually had just lost good a job. He didn't even have his uh, uh, accounting degree. He was going to a business school. He had just quit a job because he just hated working for himself. And he just happened to see a job posted at the AAA Seattle Rangers. And at the time, they were Seattle Angels. AAA Seattle Angels looking for uh, an accountant kind of job. So he just walked in and says, well, I love baseball. I've never seen a major league baseball game, but I'll go and, you know, I'll go and apply. He got the job, and then he just transitioned and went into this transition center. They hired a CFO. He got fired, and he was sitting there, the only one they could go to. And so at 21 years of age, here he is, the CFO of the team. Now, the really interesting part is he then goes to Milwaukee, Bud Selig likes what he sees, and at 22 years old, he's the CFO of the Milwaukee Brewers. It's a just incredible, absolutely incredible yeah. story of just what Bob did in his baseball career. And, and they're, they're good guys, aren't they, Bob Schoenblocker and, uh, really? and, uh, and uh, Kittlesey. Yeah, seem like they're great guys. It's so neat you got to know them and, and, and uh, spent a lot of time. And as I mentioned, you're off the air. You, you really, your book gives a behind-the-scenes view of the pilots that really I don't think very few people know about. And, and I like how you use those two former employees as basically the protagonists of your book. Uh, let, me, let me ask you an alternative history question, Rick. Let's just kind of put up a hypothetical here. So you mentioned about how the franchise got off to a way too early start, stadium issues, bad personnel decisions, no TV revenue sharing with Major League Baseball, undercapitalized, limited consistent profits. I mean, the list goes on and on all the problems. Rick, put on an alternative history hat. Do you think if maybe a couple of these things had been better for the pilots, including if baseball allowed the pilots to get a chunk of the TV revenue, do you think the pilots could have played beyond – the 1969 season, and maybe been in Seattle today at Toys Park. Well, you know, I thought about that, and I and then I looked at the history of Seattle, and it had less to do with baseball as it did to do with the region, because if you'll recall, the 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 deal was they'd have a new stadium in a couple of years. That's why they could get Seattle team. Well, what was going on was help got passed into the park levy, which I mentioned, which resulted in the kingdom. But the kingdom got all hung up in politics, and instead of being built in 72, didn't get built until 1976. Right. And what, and whether they could last that long in Six Stadium, it's almost impossible to think that's possible. And then they even fortified Seattle. Their farming system didn't work. They were building streets on opening day. I mean, it just, it's just the system was in complete disarray. So that's, that's one thing. But the other thing, and really the biggest thing, 
if you'll remember, 1970, the year you were born, was the Boeing day when the billboard went up that said, would the last person leaving Seattle please turn off the lights? Right. And that, and that was an 18-month recession. So if they'd have gone into that second year in the middle of an 18-month recession in $6 billion, they'd have probably gone under in 1970. I, I just didn't think there was any way they could make it. There were too many things, and they weren't going to get revenue sharing for three years and the rest of the lease. So there were just too many things that were up against them having to go in earlier than they thought. I mean, they shouldn't even have been on the field until 1971 to begin with. But because of the way it played out with Oakland and then Kansas City, and the league really needed a team, the team kind of forced, I mean, the Major League Baseball kind of forced the issue in Seattle, and I think that was the beginning of the end. Well, I'm going to tell you, Rick, if you use a baseball clip, I think you hit a grand slam in answering that alternative history question I had. You brought up a lot of points there, and, you know, Seattle was pretty volatile financially in the early 1970s, so you just brought up a really good point. The question was the franchise would have lasted beyond a couple more years if the franchise had been better capitalized and better organized, so that, that definitely gave, I think, me and the listeners some perspective. Rick, I had Clay Gore on my show back in, in late 2017, the 92-year-old the former U.S. senator who played with yeah. the Washington Attorney General who sued the American League, and that, yeah. that trial, which I think you hit on a bit in your book, played a role, in, a huge role in getting baseball to come back to Seattle with the Mariners. And the Mariners had the distinction of being the only pro franchise to, to come into existence as a direct result of a lawsuit. Kind of, a, kind of an interesting... Um, story there. Do you think Seattle baseball historians should put Clay Gordon really, really high in the list of the most influential uh, people in Seattle baseball history? Well, so let me back it up. Yeah. The reason Clay Gordon knew what to do and how to put the pressure on was because Kansas City had done the same thing in 1968. There was a guy named Stuart Simonton in Missouri who basically said, look, if you don't bring this team in, put a team right here, we're going to sue you and get rid of your exemption. And you're going to get treated like every other business. And that's when baseball relented and said, oh, well, then once we go, we'll get you a fancy team right away. So Clay was really important, no question about it. But the idea of a lawsuit came from Kansas City. And the reason it didn't happen as quickly in Seattle is because the kingdom wasn't built. There was nowhere to put the team. And it was hung up in politics. So the, the lawsuit kind of coincided with the final approval or, I mean, the final building of the Kingdom in 1976. And then the Mariners had a team in 1977. So Clay Gordon, yes, is very important to baseball in Seattle, no question about it. <coughs> but uh, Stuart Simonton, also a senator from Missouri, really kind of teed that up. Yeah, that's a lot of history there. The baseball also faced some prospective litigation from that Missouri constituency as well. And then and then uh, a couple of years later, Slade launched uh, a suit against the American League as a lost attorney general. A lot of history there. It's, it's so fascinating. Um, Rick, we have a Seattle What's that? It's not Charlie Finley's fault. Charlie Finley was in Kansas City. He took his team out of there after the city had given him all kind of money to try to keep him there. And he said, I'm going to Oakland, whether baseball likes it or not. That move resulted in the Kansas City move, the Stuart Simonton move, the pilots moved too early, the pilots going bankrupt, 
and Milwaukee starting up. All that came out of Charlie Kane, the psychic team about the approval of baseball to Oakland. Charlie Finley goes down as a pretty rogue sports owner. He was a no, position guy for sure. So we have a Seattle Kraken being launched right now, and, and a lot of the sports business experts think a Seattle NHL group just doing about everything right in launching a pro sports franchise. But then again, the Seattle Pilots in 1969 are about doing about everything wrong in their launch, as you alluded to earlier. Rick, um, I think your book would be good reading for a sports business class on how not to launch a, a franchise. Would you agree with that? Well, and of course, my degree is in economics, is in administration, and that's one of the reasons I was really taken by this. I mean, I've spent a lot of time in management and administration and uh, organizational uh, communication and stuff like that. So it was particularly intriguing to me to see the baseball side and to see an example of something that completely broke every rule and failed because of that. I mean, that was really intriguing to me. And several people, I, you know, I've had quite a few people review this now on Amazon. I think it's like 75 five-star reviews or something like that. I enjoy that. And, and, and that, that more, many of the comments are about the, the, the franchise, about having the person look at a front office and all of the things that they had to go through. I had no idea that all this stuff played out this way. So I, I really agree with that. I think it's a real interesting uh, business side look at some of the funny business in baseball. Oh, I would agree with it. Rick, I think I have time for maybe two more questions, but a couple minutes left. We're going to kind of pack two questions in about maybe two minutes. Real quickly, you mentioned Bud Selig, who helped bring the pilots from Seattle to Milwaukee and became the Brewers. You know, there were some secret meetings going on and so forth. Has Bud Selig ever in any way acknowledged that, that the whole way the pilots came to Milwaukee was maybe a little bit underhanded, or does Bud Selig think the whole thing was just totally clean? Well, I would, you know, I don't really know the answer to that question. But I, I can't imagine that Bud didn't have somebody in his ear saying, hey, Bud, we know you didn't mean any business with Bob Stoffer. Uh, so we've got a team here that we see that's already in trouble. So hang around. Stay patient. Hang around. You know, we think this thing may fall apart, and there may be a way to, to get this done. And we can and, and put a team back in Milwaukee. He he was a big he was one of the uh, owners of the Milwaukee Braves, and he sold his stock in the Braves when they moved to Georgia, and immediately formed a team to bring a new team to uh, Milwaukee. Right, <laughs> so right. He was sitting there. He was sitting there waiting. So I don't know. I don't know if you call call it underhanded. I think the way it played out, he just it was to his benefit, and he would have been a fool to pass it up. I mean, it was gotcha. too good to be true. Business now is an opportunity. Rick, we got just a few seconds left. Uh, what's in the future for Rick Allen? Any more baseball books? No, I didn't know I was going to write this one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually, I was in the business of early childhood development for 30 years, and I and it really is so important about the brain science of early child development. So I'm working on a book uh, for that right now. Great. Um, but uh, on the whole, I, I would be I was surprised to write this book. I'm really glad I did because I think it's really a great story. But I didn't expect to be here. Rick, I really appreciate you coming on Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue. Let's see what I think of. Thank you. Appreciate it. Bye.